Father, we just want to thank you once again this morning for your goodness and your mercy in our lives, O Lord. Father, even as we now come to the ministry of your word, animate each one of us with your anointing and with your spirit that, Lord, we will speak and we will hear your voice, even through the voice of man. Be with us, O Lord. Be with us. Strengthen us in our resolve to follow hard after you. Because, Lord, you said in your word that you have plans to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future and a desired end. You're a God who plans good good things for your children. You're a father who plans an inheritance for each and every child. Even, Lord, in the old covenant, O Lord, through your servant Moses, you said, Give my people their inheritance according to Lot. And I pray, Father, this morning, we will hear the words of our Heavenly Father. Even spoken through this earthen vessel, but it will be your words. Therefore, speak to us this morning. Challenge us. Grip our hearts, O Lord, this morning. Let our, holy, let our hearts be gripped by the Holy Spirit. That you would deepen our convictions and our resolve to follow hard after you. Let faith arise. Let spiritual strength increase. And let each one of your children be empowered to overcome in every situation that they're going through. We thank you. We praise you. We give you glory for in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are on the second day of our fasting. Um, I'm not naturally a faster. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so it's, 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 you know, I have an inertia, right? So 21 days, pastor said, so I had to get my body used to the 21 days. So I started fasting at least one week before so that I can, <laughs> I could say, okay, I can handle it, right? So, <laughs> so it's important you take these things seriously. Be determined. One of the things that fasting increases, uh, increases is your spiritual resolve. It's a spiritual resolve, a holy determination. Okay, so this morning, we've been looking at restoration. If you were following closely uh, our teachings on uh, Mondays through uh, Saturday, it's been God promises restoration to his people. But if we have to be restored, what are the steps that we need to go through is important. There's a passage in uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, which I'm going to read first and then We'll highlight some principles. We've, it's a very familiar passage. We would have looked at it in several contexts and different, different passages at different, different times, but always new dimensions at looking at a particular passage because the Word of God is as deep as the person of God. It's everything about God is, 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 is deep. Okay. And high, right? His knowledge is unsurmountable. His, his thoughts are unsearchable. Okay. Deep and wide, there's a fountain. You remember that song? Right? It's unsearchable. You know, if you, if you have read quite a few books on the attributes of God, I mean, I've read quite a few godly men of God who wrote seriously powerful books on the attributes of God. One of the things that I've, I've, I've missed conspicuously 
one attribute of God that, at least to the best of my knowledge, to the what, to the uh, books that I've read, one of the attributes that I miss is that God is humble. You know, God is omniscient, God is omnipotent, God is powerful, God is wise, God is all those things. And But there's one in, incredible attribute of God is that God is humble. And one of the ways that we've been taught to humble ourselves is through fasting. So if you are a young man, um, I, I, grew, I grew up in a mainline church and I'm not looking down or complaining about the mainline church. In all the, my years in, my, in the mainline church, I've never heard one single sermon on fasting. One single sermon. 22, 23 years in the mainline church, I've not heard, heard one single, the one Lent season they will say, but it's all tradition. On why should we fast? How to fast? That was only when I truly got baptized and when I was being mentored by one of my mentors in my growing up days, he was the one who introduced me to fasting. Okay, And he showed me from Ezekiel chapter 16, the iniquity of your sister Sodom. What is it? Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness. And he said, you know what Vijay? Pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness, that is the result of all the homosexuality and all the sinful pleasures that they indulge in is because of pride and of fullness of bread. And if you want to overcome all your sinful lusts and your sinful desires and your passions, all your struggles, do one thing, fast regularly. Practical advice. It's read in my heart. You know, one of the things that we cringe from doing is fasting. You know, there was one man of God who was growing in fasting and he asked us, one of his seniors, man of senior man of God, he said, uh, Pastor, can you tell me uh, about your lifestyle of fasting? And you know what he said? By the grace of God, I never had to fast. There are some crazy people like that too. By the grace of God, I never had to fast. In Telugu, it is even more fantastic. You see, by the grace of God. You see, this is, I mean, our church is a lot of young people, okay. Below 40, how many? Show me. Raise your hands unashamedly. See, every one of you can do it. Okay. If you can't do it now, when the grinders become few, <laughs> you will not have the strength to fast. Okay. So, 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 you see, these things you don't get outside, right? These are spiritual disciplines that have to be inculcated. And if there's a corporate fast, why not do it? It's a great opportunity. Do it. Okay, do it. To the best of your, some of you have to go cold turkey. You've been eating too much. Try that as well, if you, if the Lord is leading you to. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 36, let us read the few uh, passages, I mean verses, in order for us to understand the context as to how God restores. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 16 onwards. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, their ways was like the uncleanness of a woman in their customary impurity. Therefore, I pour out my fury on them for the blood that they had shed on the land and for their idols which by, by which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed through the, throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and according to their deeds. I judged them. And why, did, why does God judge his people? That is the reason why it says in First Corinthians chapter 11, when we are judged, we are disciplined of the Lord so that we will not be made partakers of his wrath, of his divine judgment one day. So God disciplined, disciplines his children. We'll come to that later on. But understand, there's, there's a process that God 
God says, you know what, you profane my holy name. And look at what he says, goes on to say, Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 20. And they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. And I'll tell you something, who are the only people who have the capacity and the strength to profane God's name? God's people. Nobody else. Because other, other people don't know. That is the reason why in Romans chapter 2 he says, you, do, you, you know uh, people should not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You, should, you, you know people should not steal. Do you steal? Do you, uh, you know that people should not commit ad- uh, idolatry. Do you commit adultery? Idolatry? And he says, the name of the Lord is being blasphemed among Gentiles because of you. And who are these people? These are the people who know the law, who have had the law, who are who are boasting in the oracles and the deep revelations that God has given them. And you know, and he, and he says, it's because of you. Why do uh, people look down upon Christianity? Because... Because of the Christians, not down, not because of any other, any other thing. I remember Nabil, Nabil Qureshi when he was invited to church by you know, his friend to, to one of his services. Um, he was still not a born again believer by then. And he was sharing his testimony in his book. And he says, when I went to the church, I, I, I looked at the church, they were all worshipping. But one thing that really struck me that there were people on the, on the, on the dais, girls with tight t-shirts and raising up their hands. And I was telling to myself, in my religion, girls are so soberly dressed. How come there's no modesty here and they talk about freedom? You know what is happening over there? Who's, who's becoming a stumbling block? Christians. You see? That's the reason my pastor was reading that, that invitation letter from the prison warden, right? But I had concern for my holy name. Look at what he says. When they said, so they profaned my holy name, when they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of his land. So what did, what did God do? But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations, wherever they went. And then what did, what did they do? Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for what? My holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations, wherever you went. And then goes on to say, And I will sanctify my great name which has been profaned among the nations. Which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. Meaning, when I am sanctified in you. That is the reason why 1 Peter chapter 3 will say, Sanctify the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart and be ready always to give a hope, for uh, answer for the reason for the hope which is in you. But do so with fear. Right? When I'm hallowed in you, in you before their eyes, and then goes on to say, for I will take you from among, among the nations, gather you out of the countries, bring you into your land, then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and I put a new, new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that you were not, that you were not good and you will loathe yourselves in your sight for your iniquities and your abominations. So for not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Then what happens? 
Thus says the Lord God, on that day, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be what? Rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like what? The garden of Eden. And the wasted, desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and I will do it. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. I, the Lord, will do it. I spoke it and therefore I will do it. But let us see what are the steps that God takes us through. Takes us through in order for us to be restored. To be restored from being desolate. See, one of the things that you need to understand, God never does, uh, what do you say, um, outward, in, 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 in uh, Urdu it's called tooth malish. You know what tooth malish is, right? Upar, upar say, they just uh, do it outwardly, little here, little there, and then say it's good. No, it doesn't happen that way. It's a complete radical change he does. He goes through the, from the inside out. Change comes from the inside out. That is the reason why God, I mean, Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says, you people, you're very, very, you're very, looking very good on the outside, but inside you're what? Full of dead man's bones and uncleanness. You're like graves. You're like, you're like uh, Taj Mahal. But what is it? It's interesting, no? Hundreds of dollars spent on looking at a grave. Of a man who was, who apparently built it for his sixth wife. I don't know how many wives he had. Sixth or seventh wife. That is love. <laughs> that, that is not love, my dear brothers. That is something else. Huh? I don't even know what it is. Okay. Ezekiel chapter 36. Let us, let us look at the first step. For I will take you. I will gather you. I will bring you into your land. That's the first step. First one, God says, I will take, I will gather, I will bring you. So what do you do? What do you do? What is your response? If God says, I will gather, what do you, what do, you do? I also will gather, essentially. That's the idea. The first step is to gather. Look at what it says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. Look at what he says. Very simple, okay. He who is not with me is against many. He who does not gather with me. Scatters abroad. He reiterates this. And this is talking about uh, in the context of binding the strong man and uh, plundering all his goods. Right? And Luke's gospel chapter 11 verse 23. Same verse again. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So you know what? God is doing something. He says, I will do this. But it doesn't mean that he is not going to do it without, he's going to do it without our cooperation. It's not possible. You should be willing to be stirred. We'll come to that in a while. You should be willing to be stirred. Look at what it says in Philippians chapter 2. Very, very powerful verse. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. And verse 13, for God, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his Good pleasure. So therefore we have to say, Lord, if you're gathering, what am I going to do? I'm going to gather with you. 
We sing that song now. If the Lord be, I think in the morning we said, if God be for us, who can stand against us? But the problem is, is God with you or are you with God? God is for you, but are you for God? Very important for us to ask ask ourselves this question. Am I for God? Look at what he says to Joshua in Joshua chapter 5. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite to him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And he said, no, Hmm. no. It is up to you to decide on which side you want to be. Right? And therefore he says, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? That is a proper response. So, we are in a season of fasting. So, what is your response? If I am with the church, I will gather along with the church. Right? Why is it? Why is this important? Because in the last days, something is promised in the Bible and it will happen. If it is written in the Bible, it is a done deal. And it's not a positive thing, it's a negative thing. Look at what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Actually, it's chapter 2. Let no one deceive you. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless what comes first? The falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself, that is, about all that is called God and that is worshipped, so that the, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So, there is going to be a f- tremendous falling away in the last days. And there is also going to be an ingathering. Now, the point is, which side are you leaning on? It's not sufficient to sing the song, whose side, are, whose side are you leaning on? Leaning on the Lord's side is for Sunday school only. Decision for upper school. Right? Look at what it's, this is, this is what God promised, right? God said, you know what, I'm going to rebuild the cities. I will do this among the nations whom you have, uh, whom, uh, among, who, among whom, uh, among whom you uh, profane my name. And then look at what he says in Ezra chapter 1. Look at what it says, Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1 onwards. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord came by the mouth of Jeremiah, might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all this kingdom and also put it in writing saying, what did he say? Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. He has commanded me. So what does he say? Because he has commanded me, what is he going to do? What is he going to do? Look at what he says. Next verse. Then the heads of the father's house of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all whose what? Spirits. God had moved. They were stirred up in their spirits. So who are these people who will build? Those are the people who have been stirred up by the spirit of God. We've been stirred up by the Spirit of God. And what did they do? They arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. So there were so many people in Babylon. Everybody went, went away from captivity, well, on, uh, in, into captivity. Everybody. Few people were left in, left in Jerusalem. Very few people. And in, in the northern kingdom of Assyria, uh, you had uh, the Assyrians came and started intermingling with the, with the, with the Jewish people over there, or rather the Israeli, Israelites over there, and they started mixing with them. And you know, it says, they worshipped, they feared the Lord, and they worshipped their own gods. They feared the Lord, and they worshipped their own gods. Right? So, God took them off to, 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 to Babylon, and 
Once you go into Babylon, God says, you know what? I'm, this is only for 70 years. So after 70 years, what should you do? Lord, I want to go back to Jerusalem. But you know what? What people do? They are very comfortable in Babylon. They are very, very happy, well settled. They are having nice pay- paychecks, fantastic paychecks. They said, you know what? Only few people whose hearts were still on Jerusalem. God promised what he promised he will do. And they were hoping and holding on to that promise. Their spirits were stirred up. And they said, you know what? We are going down. We are going back to Jerusalem. So what did they do? All those around encouraged them. Some people what? They went personally. All those around, they said, okay, we will fund your ministry. You don't want to go anywhere. We want to stay in Babylon. We will do one thing. We will support your ministry. At least it was better. Okay. Some, so one man of God said, either you are going or you are sending or you are compromising. Only three steps. Either you are going or you are sending or you are compromising. And by by the way, both these things are needed in the church. You have people who have gone into the mission field and there are people who are supporting them with whatever giftings that God has given them. God said, I have given you giftings, various gifts that God has given to support. The point therefore is, if God is stirring up, what is God looking for? What is God looking for? You know what God is looking for? I believe in all of us. God is looking for one attribute. You know what that attribute is? Will you yield to God? That's all that he is looking for. Will you yield to God? God is not looking at your perfection, whether you are God of fantastic uh, uh, what you, talents and, and giftings. No, God is not looking for any of those things. You know something? God can give you anything. All the giftings that you don't have, God can give you. Okay. The anointing will take care of everything. Because it says the anointing that is upon you, what does it do? It teaches you all things, whatever you need. The, the anointing of the Holy Spirit will take care of it. The point, but God is looking for is He's looking for people who are yielded. Are you, are you willing to be yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to be stirred up? Okay. Are you willing to be stirred up? Look at what it says in James chapter three. If you have bitter envy and self-seeing in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is what is it? It is earthly. It is sensual or natural or soulish. And it is what? Demonic. But look at what it says on the other hand. James chapter three verse 17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to Yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who are, who make peace. So what is, what is happening? So in order for you to be gathered, in order for you to yield to the, yield to one thing, what should you do? You have to sow in peace. And what is sowing in peace? Get right with God and get right with your brother. Okay. So, there are two people. There are people who are stirred by the Spirit and who go into the mission field and there are the rest of the people who said, we're going to support you. And both these things are absolutely important for God. So, there are those people whose spirits got moved and those people got encouraged. And this is so significant. Why is this important? Let me tell you something. Everything that happens in the natural for a human, for a, for a believer is not natural. It is a spiritual thing. It is supernatural. Okay. It is, it is not normal. Okay. So, if, for example, if there is recurring lack in your life, 
It is not normal. Okay. If there is a recurring health issues in your life, it is not normal. If there are recurring issues with, uh, with, um, with making peace and fighting with your neighbor, whatever it is, it is constantly happening. It is not normal. And you have to examine yourself and say, Lord, what is going on in my life? Let me check. It's not normal. Everything that happens in a believer's life, it is not normal. It is spiritual. Okay, we are spirit beings. That is the reason why he says, my dear brothers and sisters, he says in First Peter chapter 2 in verse 11, he says, my dear, my dear brothers, as pilgrims and sojourners, what should you do? Abstain from fleshly lust. What do they do? They war. They war against the soul. So the moment you have become a believer, one of the things that you have, res- you have to, one of the facts that you have to resign to is the fact that you are in a battle. Okay? And therefore, it is important for all those people whose spirits God has stirred and those people to come together, to gather together. Right? And say, you know what? I'm in this. I'm not going to run away from here. Ezra chapter 1. So, in Genesis chapter 14, this is what happens. Genesis chapter 14, you will see that Abraham is going to war and uh, he wants to rescue his ungrateful Lot, uh, nephew called Lot. And this is what happens in uh, Genesis chapter 14. Now, when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants. Actually, KJV uses the word trained young men who were born in his own house. And what is that young young man said? You know what? Wherever you go, Abraham, I'm coming with you. I'm there with you. I'm backing you up. And what was this? This was not a normal battle. It was a spiritual battle. Right? Uh, Joshua is fighting the Amalekites. And who's there up, up, up on the mountain? Moses is praying. And who's there supporting him? Aaron and her supporting him. What is happening? Everybody is intimately involved in overcoming the enemy. Because it is a battle. So what do you do? You gather. You gather. So he divided his forces against them by night and he and he and his servants attacked them, pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lord and his goods as well as the woman and the people. And the people. So what is he talking about? He's talking about, you know what? There is one leader and there are a bunch of people who will say, you know what? We are going to stand. We are going to gather together because there is what we call as a personal benefit in this entire thing. Let me tell you something. If in your house, some people have, some of your, uh, your family members have a medical condition. One of you fast. The others support him fast. Or her fast. If your husband has a medical condition, let the wife fast. If the wife has a medical condition, let the husband fast. And let everyone come together and support the fast because you know what? Our breakthrough is dependent upon gathering together. The first step is to gather together because Jesus says, he who is not with me is is what? He's against me. You don't take these things lightly. Okay? Gather. Gather. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at what he says. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the the assembling is again the word gathering of ourselves together. As in the manner of some is. But exhorting one another daily. So much the more as you see the word, the day approaching. Right? For yet a little while, and he who is coming 
will come and he will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul shall not have any pleasure in him. So what is, if you are, you know, when men, women, young men, young women of faith, what do you do? You say what? As a church, we are beginning to fast and I'm going to join it. I'm going to gather myself. That is the reason why Paul tells in First Corinthians, let all of you be of the same mind, speak the same language. Gather. Okay, so don't, gather means be united in purpose. Join the vision. Genesis chapter 49 verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the what of the people be? The gathering of the people be. Unto him shall be the gathering of his people. And what the old covenant could not, I mean, what God could not uh, uh, achieve in 400 and 500 years of Israel's history by one act of sending them into captivity for 70 years, something fantastic happens. Look at what it says in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1. And all the people gather themselves together as what? As one man. Something which never happened. Never happened in the history of Israel. That is the reason why they were called constantly children of Israel, children of Israel, children of Israel. Because... They were children of Israel. They were always scattering. There was only one guy who was standing on top of the mountain interceding for them. And a few people who joined here. How many people did he have? He had one Moses. We have one Moses. One Aaron. One Eliezer. One Phineas. And one uh, Joshua and one Caleb. That's it. This was a team. Five people. Five people for 600,000 people. Representing 600,000 men. And all of them, you know, by the way, if you read through the book of Numbers, it's one of the things that is very interesting. All those who were numbered, who are those people who were numbered in the book of Numbers? Okay, fine. If you read very carefully, you know, one of the things that you uh, realize after, after a period of time, every, every book in the Bible has got fantastic lessons to learn. One of the things which we conspicuously avoid is Numbers and Leviticus. And geology and genealogy. What, are the, what, do, what do you see? All the people who are numbered in, uh, in uh, the book of Numbers. Who are they? Excuse me? Men? That's it? Men period? Excuse me? Very carefully, these were all men who were ready for war. So, who are those people who are numbered in God's kingdom? Can you number children? You know what? We are preparing an army. How many men you have? We have one man and uh, 25 children. 25 children, one man, you are... That is the reason why it says in Luke's Gospel chapter 14, if you go to war, and if you don't have sufficient people or sufficient resources to overcome the war, what do you do? You will find. First of all, you have to count the cost. The problem is, you have so many children in the church who are not ready for war. And they are actually not numbered. When the road is called up, yonder I'll be there. Where will you be there? Numbered among the transgressors and not numbered among the warriors. But the problem is, these warriors, they refused to fight. And what happened to these warriors? They all perished. And again, God does a census after everybody perishes. Again, he finds finds 600,000 men who are what? Ready for battle. See, God is not numbering normal people. He doesn't number children. He only numbers. That is the reason why he says, I write to you young men because the word of God richly abides in you and you have the power to overcome the evil one. You see? 
power to overcome the evil one. And if you're a young man, you know what? We have a glorious opportunity in our church to, to minister. Like Pastor was saying, one of the fantastic outreaches of our church. In 12 years, I've seen consistently by, with my own eyes for 12 years, the miracle that God, God wrought in our church every time we have a pastor's conference. And the word that comes forth, it's completely different. Because I know I'm sitting right here. And you, you can't miss the anointing. It's so fired up. And after, after yesterday's service, we were going back, Anne and I were saying, you know what, Anne? And Anne was saying, actually, Anne, she's, she's here. Yeah. She said, something is happening. God is doing something and I don't want to miss it. And you, you would say, what did, what new things you heard yesterday? Nothing. Nothing new. But there's something real. Nothing new. Understand that. So, as one man, so gather, be, be counted among those who will be counted, can be counted upon. Gather. And if you're young and say, Lord, I'm here, I'm available. What an amazing testimony about Samuel, right? What does he say? The, the Samuel ministered to the Lord before he lied. What a statement that is. You can do a PhD thesis on, on that. Samuel ministered before Eli, to the Lord before Eli. And he heard the voice of God. How old, how old was he? Less than, maybe about seven or eight years old. Seven or eight years old and he hears a voice so clearly. Why can't we? Understand this. Therefore, gather, gather, gather. Gather, say that, you know what? I will be counted. Lord wrought in me that desire to be made those people who will be counted upon. I can be relied upon. See, understand that. Otherwise we'll miss, see, we, we can t- talk about all this. But if we don't volunteer ourselves, because God never, never forces anybody. Can you be stirred up by the Holy Spirit of God? That's the question. Because the Holy Spirit does not push anybody. He's a gentleman. And only when you say, Lord, I yield to you. I yield to you, Spirit of God. I yield my body. I yield myself. I come under the anointing. I come under the teaching. I come under the the ministry and the and the leadership. That is when things will happen in your life. Otherwise, it will never happen. 250 years from now, you will not happen. You will already be in eternity. Ezekiel chapter 36. Let's move on. Then what will I do? First, I will gather. Then you know what I will do? Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you of your filthiness and from all your idols. So first thing, gather. Step two, get cleansed. What is that? Get cleansed. First step, gather. Second step, get cleansed. The question therefore is, what should you get be cleansed from? You should be cleansed from all your filthiness caused by your idolatry. Right? He says, so let, look at, let us look at what it means, what does it mean to be cleansed from your idols. Look at what it says in Ezekiel chapter 14. What is an idol? Who is an idol? Idol can be anything. Look at what it says in Ezekiel chapter 14. Let us look for the definition of an idol from the prophet himself. Ezekiel chapter 14 verse 5. That I may seize the house of Israel by, the, by their heart. Because they are all what? Estranged from me by their idols. So what does, what does idol do? It takes you away from God. It estranges you. It makes God into a stranger. You remember? 
you know, you can have an idol about Jesus and not the real Jesus. It's an idol of Jesus. It's not a real Jesus. For a lot of people, Jesus is still an infant baby. They will never, <laughs> if you heard yesterday's Q&A session, how many of you heard Q&A session yesterday? Honestly, okay. God, pastor talked about birthday, celebrating birthday. No? Which birthday are you, are you celebrating? Infant birthday? Bala Yesu Lali Papa. What is Lali? See, what is it? What, what estranges you? Because you, you don't have the image of the authentic Jesus. You know what happens? It makes you estranged. Remember on the road to Emmaus? They're discussing. They're discussing about this Jesus of Nazareth. We were, and then suddenly one man comes. They don't know who that man is. What are you thinking? What are you discussing, Baba? Are you a dash in Israel? What is that? Are you a stranger in Israel? You know, who has become a stranger? You have become a stranger, not him. Are you a stranger in Israel and you don't know these things? What things? Jesus of Nazareth, the man, mighty indeed. We were hoping that he would restore Israel. And three days since he's been, since he's been died. And we heard that the woman, from the woman that he's been resurrected. And he says, oh, you foolish ones. And slow of heart to understand all the prophets have spoken. Was not Christ supposed to die first, suffer first, and then enter into his glory? You know what? They did not have the image of the suffering Christ. They only had an image of the exalting, exalted Christ. You need to have the proper image. The goodness of God and the severity of God. That is when you profane the name. You know when you profane the name of God? When you take one side. What is that one side? God is loving. He forgives whatever you do. He forgives. That is one side. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. Hyper grace, ultra grace. I don't know. I don't want to give names. It's irritating. And then then on the other side, you have this strict God who's always coming and he's looking down upon you and he wants to punish you. And when you look at that God, you want to run away from him. See, but you know what Jesus says? In me, both there is goodness and there is severity. You see, this is how I vindicated the name of my father. How did I vindicate the name of my father? That God is absolutely true. He will not wink at sin. And on the cross, he made me sin and he, con- and he punished sin on the cross for, for, your, for your sake. And he extended what? Mercy toward you. What happened on the cross? Mercy and truth met each other, kissed each other, and you know what? The vindication of God's name happened on the cross. But what happens? Many of us make an idol. For some of them, Jesus is always a Jesus who will always forgive, who will always speak kindly. A bruised reed he will not break. Absolutely. Of smoking flax he will not put off. Fantastic. But he is also a God who takes the whip and he Drives all the money changes. Because the zeal for the house of God consumed him. He was consumed by the zeal for the house of God. But Jesus is also there. And he will call you brood of vipers too. If need be. He will offend you. But in love. But you know what you need to understand? Behind every word of Jesus there is love. He speaks the truth. But he speaks the truth in love. So he says, are you a stranger? And he says, oh you foolish ones. You've been estranged because you created a God out of your own imagination. I am not the God of the Bible. And from the prophets and the Psalms and the and the Lord, beginning from Moses, he teaches everything concerning himself. And once their eyes are opened, they said, now we recognize a master. What happens? Therefore, what is an idol? Is something which estranges you. It draws you away from sincere and a pure devotion to God. Something which occupies your time. 
Something which occupies your time. It could be anything. It could be entertainment. For some of you, fasting from entertainment is very good. You need to be entertained. Otherwise, you cannot survive anything. Okay. Estranged from me, from by their idols. Look at what it says. Ezekiel chapter 14. He goes on to say, For any one of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who separates himself from me, and sets up his idols. So what does idol do? It separates you from God. It separates you from God. So what are the idols in our heart this morning? That is stopping us from being restored. A relationship? A career? What is it? Or an idea? Or an attitude? Stubborn attitude. That's the reason why he says, stubbornness is what? Like iniquity as idolatry. I will not change. No matter what you speak to me, this is what I am, this is who I am, I'm going to stay like this. God says, no. Will you be willing to eat? So what does he do? He puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity, then comes to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me. I, the Lord, will answer him by myself according to the idol in his heart, he says. So what is your idol? I will set my face against the man and make him a sign and a proverb. See, so what is that idol in our hearts this morning? Lord, we, we are, we're going through this time, time period of examination, right? Okay, Everybody will speak about Advent, etc. But let us do something different. Let us be iconoclastic for a change. You know what iconoclast is, right? The person who sneers at tradition. Oh, this is a tradition. I will not follow the tradition. I will do something else. According to the will of God for my life. Idols. Oh, idols. Take away your time. Frustrate you. Take away all your energy. My goodness, I know, I'm, 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 see, I'm speaking out of experience, okay? I'm not just speaking, giving you a theory from my mind. <laughs> I remember those days, I was worshipping my idol, which nowadays when people call me that, I find it very strange. Yeah. Some, because, <laughs> you know, one, one, man, one man of God said, no? Tell me who is the person who was in hell? Lazarus was in heaven, who was in hell? They said, oh, that rich man. No, no, no. He's not a rich man. I said, what is he then? He's a reverend doctor rich man. Why is he reverend doctor rich man? Because he's got all his theology perfect. He calls him Father Abraham. He's very, very, what do you call, evangelistic in his approach to, please send to my brothers so they will not end up here. His theology and doctrine is fantastic. That means he's got, he's reverend, he's also a doctor, and where is he? In hell. And what was he doing? Eating sumptuously at the table. We have got idols. A career could be our idol. Our relationship could, could be our idol. Our peers, what they think about us is such a fantastic idol. There's a, there's a, there's a new coffee shop near in, on Kishtama Enclave. You know what the name of the coffee shop is? Nasib Sabka Adda Apna. Apna Adda. And you know, what do you find? Everybody there in that, in that group, you will not find a person without a haircut like our, what is his name? Is that a boy? Harry's haircut. Everybody has that same haircut. There's a uniform over there. 
They have all the same dress. They all smoke the same cigarette. Almost. It's a new coffee shop. I mean, I, I, I recently went there to have coffee. And they all dress alike. What is that dress? I'm the odd one out. So when the, every time the guy sees me, I ask him for a coffee, he looks at me, he looks at my dress, and he, he doesn't know, he cannot comprehend. And he lets me go. I just have my coffee. And you should see, everybody has this, what is that? Narrow, how does it go like this, no? What, what is that fit called? What fit, Papa? F- funnel, funnel fit. Okay, you call it slim fit, I call it funnel fit. Everybody is in the same mold. Nobody dresses any other way. You know, you go to a, sh- a, 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 a store now, you will not find the jeans of your liking. It's impossible. Tight fit, ridiculous fit, all fits are there. Except the fit that you want. There's no regular anymore. So maybe you have to custom make your own jeans now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> how, how do we do it? You see, that is the reason why he says... What is an idol? For a lot of people, it's their external. That is the reason why Peter says, let not your adornment be the external, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. Uh, Ornament of a meek, gentle, and a quiet spirit. What? In the sight of God, which is very precious. Which is very precious. So what attracts you, uh, what attracts God, is that meek, gentle, and a quiet spirit. Not your conformity to the things of this world. Not to the conformity to things. That's the reason why a man of God should be a transformer, not a conformer. A transformer. You can change my name. You can call me anything, said Daniel. But one thing deep down inside you cannot change. I'm I'm a Jew. I'm from Judah. You will never change that. External can change. But I'm not going to change according to your style. That's not going to impact anything that is inside of me. Because I'm not a conformer. I'm a transformer. I'll have a transforming influence. Why? Because I've cleansed myself of idols. The peer pressure. That is the reason why Bible says, you know, how do you win over your husband? Go to Proverbs chapter 25. Okay, you don't have to turn there as a homework. How many of you want to break your husband's bones? Anybody in, hus- uh, in your uh, wife's? Wives, wives, anybody, any wife wants to break his house? Sometimes you feel, no. Come on, come on, be honest. I want to break my husband's bone. You know, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Abigail is looking at me. She knows the answer, okay? Because we've been looking at it some time back. You know what it says? A gentle answer breaks the bone. What, what breaks the bone? Gentle answer. A gentleness wins over the heart of the king. And a gentle answer breaks his bone. A lot of you, like husband, wife, I wish I could break his bone and make him sit at the home. He's always going out. Gentle answer. Can you try that? Can you try that? The ornament of a meek, gentle and a quiet spirit in the sight of God, which is very precious. So, idols, idols, opinions. So who are these people? These are the elders of Israel who came and sat. So if the elders get converted, praise God. That is the reason why it says in 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 in, uh, in um, Judges chapter 5, if the elders lead and the people follow, what? Praise the Lord. 
Actually, the Nazarites lead and the people follow. That's the word. If the Nazarites lead and the people follow, praise the Lord. All right, you know this. What does he do? He sets up his idols in his heart and puts him before, uh, puts before him what causes him to stumble into iniquity. That's what he does. Ezekiel chapter fourteen verse four. He sets up his idol and causes him to stumble into iniquity. Causes you to get estranged. Causes you to compromise. Causes you to what? Causes you to compromise. A lot of times it is money. So what does God do? He wants to send the word of God and cleanse you from all your what filthiness and your idols. Mm-hmm. We'll see an example. It's in John's Gospel, chapter 15. Let's read that verse. Verse 3. You're already clean because of the word. So what, what is this, what is clean, uh, clean water? It is the word of God. Right? 15.3 says, it is already, you're already clean because of the word. Now look at what it says. What should the word do? John chapter 13, verse, <clears throat> verse 10 onwards. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Not all of you are not clean. Who is not clean? Among these 12 disciples, one fellow is unclean. And so if he is unclean, what has he got in his heart? He's an idol. Which has gripped his heart. Just caused him, causing him to sin, causing him to stumble, stumble into iniquity. And what is that idol? What is that idol in his heart? Look at what it says in John's Gospel chapter 12. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him said, what did he say? Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 dinari? This he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and used often to put his hand into it and help himself. So what gripped his heart? Covetousness. What kept his kept what uh, grabbed his heart? Love of money. That's idle. And what did what did they, therefore Jesus say? I know not all of you are clean. I am cleansing you for the word from by the word of God. But one of you has been he's been gripped with covetousness. He's been gripped with the with the spirit of money. There was one man who said, Lord, cleanse me, whatever it takes, right? Luke's gospel chapter 19. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And then what happens next was, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to his house because he's also son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save. That which was lost. What are these people? The son of man came to gather that which was scattered. And after he gathers what he's going to do, he's going to pour clean water upon them. And what is he going to do? He's going to cleanse them of all their idols. So what has gripped your heart this morning? What has gripped your heart this morning? Entertainment. Love of money. Whatever it is that is making you estranged from God, drawing away and stealing that precious time that you have to, that you are supposed to give to God. Ask God, Lord, this morning, Lord, cleanse me. Show me what my idol is. Are your children your idol? Your spouse your idol? Your job your idol? What is your idol? Coming to the end of the year, right? We are coming to the end of the year. I am my idol. What I think is my idol. That is the reason why Jesus says, how can you believe who choose to get honor from one another, but will not choose to get honor from the only God? From the only God. 
So cleanse from your idols. So first one, gather. Second one, be cleansed. Okay, get cleansed. Third one, let's see. I will give you a new heart. And I'll, I'll give you what? A new spirit within you. God said, I will. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So the question is, how do we get a new heart? I need, God said, I will give. But there, but what, one thing I have to acknowledge. What should I acknowledge first that I have? I have a hard heart. That's what I have to acknowledge. So let us see some of the practical ways to analyze to see whether we have got a hard heart or not. Okay. The step three is to get a new heart. How do we analyze? How do I know that my heart is not hard? Let us look at scripture. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3 onwards. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to him, Have you not read that he, that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one, one flesh, therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Okay, fantastic. Look at their answer. Then they said to him, why did then Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and put her away? And you know what Jesus said? Because of the hardness of your heart. You know where your hardness is tested? Whether you've got a hard heart or not, husbands and wives, that is where it is tested. You see, let me tell you something. Life before marriage and life after marriage is totally different. Life before marriage is called courtship. There's hardly anything. And for a lot of people, they want to live the rest of their life in their courtship. Doesn't happen. Life before marriage and life after marriage. You know what? When you say, I forsake all and follow you. Forsake everything and follow you. You know what you're saying? I'm dead. That's what you're saying. It's actually a death certificate upon yourself. Hmm? Check your love towards your wife, husbands. Do you genuinely love your wife? As Christ Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her? So, as fathers and as husbands, what is the onus upon a, upon a husband? It says that he has to sanctify and cleanse his wife by the washing of water, by the word. That's his, that's his task, the priestly ministry he has to take over and cleanse the wife and cleanse the family by the washing of water, by the word. And how should he do it? How, how should he do it? He should do it like the way Jesus did for his disciples. Speak the truth in love. Be patient. Be kind. That is the reason why in, 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 uh, in Malachi chapter 2 he says, you come to the altar and you cry. And you are weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping and God says, I'm not want, I don't want your offering. And why do you, why, and you are asking, why Lord, why are you not taking my offering? Because I see the relationship between you and your wife at home. I'm private to that. Nothing misses me. Nothing misses me. You see, this is, Absolutely serious things. You should not take them lightly. You know, there's only one thing it says that can be heaven on earth. You know what it is? Your home. You've been taught over and over and over again. 
you do you have a hard attitude to your to, toward your to your to, toward your wife do you have a hard attitude she might frustrate you sometime just like you frustrated her all the all the time but how do you do it how do you respond how do you respond I mean, this is very important let us not skirt it okay let us not skirt this this is reality and for all those people who want to get married be very careful you cannot get into this unadvisedly but reverently and in the fear of god this is not romance like the way you see in movies no kingdom marriages are different read ecclesiastes chapter 3 if i'm right or 5 where he talks about what is what is the purpose of marriage understand this in your marriage this is tested in your relationship with your wife the way you deal with her is tested how you how you speak to her i mean in india my goodness how we are brash with the women right you are brash with the way we speak understand this is very very important god sees that because of your hardness of your heart and that is where it is tested look at another place it is tested mark's gospel chapter 3 and he entered the synagogue again and a man was there who had a withered hand so they watched him closely whether they would heal him on the sabbath that he might accuse him so he said to the man who had the withered hand step forward and he said to them is it lawful on the sabbath to do good or to do evil to save life or to kill but they kept you know what you see somebody in need and you don't respond you know what you have what do you have what do you have hard heart you are not moved with compassion that is the reason why it says in 1 john chapter 4 if i'm right it says let us not love in word only but also what indeed you see a need and you just say okay no i don't want to be there you kept silent and look at what it says jesus look at what it says and he looked around being grieved by the hardness of their hearts he was what is wrong with these people if i do good to somebody why are they so upset about it then are they not moved with compassion when they see a need see there are two different things spiritual is compassion everybody say spiritual is compassion soulish is sympathy ah god is not saying we should have sympathy he said we should have what compassion that is the reason why when he looked at the looked at the people he said he was moved with compassion move with compassion when you see a need when you see a need and you say you know what and you know i didn't put that and a third way you will have hardness you can see that you, whether you have hardness or not you know what jesus does he finishes the miracle of the five, feeding of the 5000 he takes them in a boat and he says be careful of the leaven of the pharisees and the herods and they say oh we do not bring bread he says what happened to you are your hearts what in other words miracle after miracle god is doing but you are not responding hard heart god has brought us through for 11 months 11 months how many of us get up in the morning and say thank you lord on a regular basis on a regular basis thank you lord thank you thank you lord Thank you Lord for my church. Thank you Lord. Thank you God for you first. Thank you Lord for my church. Thank you Lord for the people who are placed you, whom you have placed me under. Thank you. Thank you. Is there a heart full of gratitude that has to be practiced deliberately? 
you should learn to say thanks. That is that is what I say. Give thanks always for it is the word of God. It is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. It is the will of God. Otherwise, your heart will grow hard. And look at Israel. For 10 times, God sent miracle after miracle after miracle in their life. But you know what happened? Hardened because of unbelief. Hardened because of unbelief. It hardens. Do you have a hard heart this morning? Check your relationship with your wife. Check your relationship with your brother in the church. Check. Because the fruit of the righteousness is sown in how? How is it sown? It's sown in peace. Hebrews chapter 3. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be what? Hardened by the... You know what's, what hardens you? Sin hardens you. Sin hardens you. Little, 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 little sin. One by... After a while you have piled up and you don't even have the conviction of the Holy Spirit anymore. There's no conviction anymore. Ask yourself this question this morning. Am I sensitive to sin? You know, how do you have sensitivity to sin? Do you weep over your sin? And we are not talking about weeping in public. No, 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 no. No. That lady came and wept at Jesus' feet. Wept and cleansed his feet with the tears. Because she was ever grateful. And this one guy was judging her. That is the reason why Jesus was so upset with the disciples. Jesus, did this man sin or his, or his parents sin? Neither. You're discussing somebody else's problem. It is not for analysis. See? Hardness of heart. And what deceives you? What hardens you? It is the deceitfulness of sin. It is just not sin. Okay, I sin, nothing's gonna happen, God is gonna understand, that is deceitfulness. But when you sin and you're getting convicted, that is not deceitfulness. Look at one example. Genesis chapter 4. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt lure over him. And then what happens? And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain arose against Abel, his brother. And you know what he did? He took his stone and he crushed him to death. Killed him. You know what? How can you kill a brother? Because your heart is hard. There's hardness in your heart. You can, you can speak with impurity against another brother. You can slander against an, against your neighbor because your heart is hard. It is, a, it is a reflection of the hardness in your heart. There's no compassion at all. You're not mourning saying, you know what, I don't know why my brother fell away. No, 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 no. You're discussing his fall. And you were hoping that he would fall. Check your heart this morning. Is it hard? Look at another man. He's called man after God's own. And what do you expect from him? A sensitive heart all the time. Look at what it says in Second Samuel chapter eleven. This is what about this is about David. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Job and sent it by the hand of Uriah. Who's Uriah? Your most trusted, loyal friend, who was an unbeliever before, and now he has become a believer because of your testimony. 
And he wrote in the letter saying, set E. Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire from him that he may be smitten and die. Boy, what happened to you, sweet psalmist of Israel? What happened to you? How come, how come you wrote all these songs and psalms? You were being, you were, you were being chased by Saul. You would not raise a, oh. Uh, uh, what one hand against the against the Lord's anointed? When you cut off the hem of his garment, you were upset. Your conscience pricked you. And what has happened now? Kill him. What has happened? Heart has gone hard. You know why? Because of the deceitfulness of sin. You know. So therefore, you know what he what he cries. What does he cry? Look at what he says in Psalm fifty-one. Create in me a what? What? Clean heart, O oh Lord. In other words, Lord, do a regenerated work in me. Lord, my heart has become hard. I can sense it. The conviction has come. It's gone. Convictions have gone. I don't weep anymore. I don't cry over my sin. Blessed are those who, what? Mourn, for they shall be comforted. And what, what do they mourn over? Not, not over the loss because of their sin. Because why? Because they grieve the heart of God. And therefore he says, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with your spirit. Look at what he's saying. Take not your spirit. Take not your spirit. Take not your spirit. You know why God promises us that he'll give a what? A new heart and a new spirit. Take away the heart of stone. And give us a heart of flesh. And therefore he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. And a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Ask God this morning. Has my heart grown, grown hard, Lord? Am I sensitive to sin? How do I deal with my brother and sister in the church? How do I deal with my wife? And how is my attitude towards sin? Do I get convicted? Do I moan over my, over my sin? Or am I comfortable? So first thing, gather. Second thing, get cleansed. Third thing, get a new heart. Ask God, create in me a clean heart. You know the word for create? The same word, barach. Bereshit bara Elohim. Create, recreate just the way you created the heavens and the earth. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. And renew a right spirit within me. So first thing, gather. Second thing, what? Get cleansed. Third thing, get a new heart. Fourth thing, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So what happens? God says, I will remove the heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. And what is this heart of flesh? Why is it a heart of flesh? It is a heart which is responsive. It, the moment you prick it, it gets convicted. It's very sensitive to the voice of God and very sensitive to the spirit of God. So what happens? What God says, I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my ways. So what should you do now? What is this? Change the covenant. First thing, gather. Second, get cleansed. Third, get a new heart. Fourth thing, change the covenant. One man of God said, lot of believers have new birth, old growth. New birth, old growth. Who's who's growing? The old man. What are you supposed to do with the old man? Kill him. So what do you do? How do you do that? He says, change the covenant. Not the old covenant anymore. Not the law anymore. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 8 about the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8 onwards. Because finding fault with them. Okay, he doesn't find fault with the covenant. He finds fault with the 
them, okay? Because they cannot keep the covenant. He says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand of Egypt, a hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. And then, because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their mind and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. What a fantastic covenant. What did God, what did God say? I will write. I will put them in their mind. I will cause them to walk in my ways. This is the new covenant. And where is it happening? It is happening in the heart. I was driving from, not driving, traveling from Times Square Church back to Montreal. So when you go to Times Square Church those days, David Wilkerson was still the, still the senior pastor. All the new believers, I mean not the new believers, the new people who come to the church the first time, they're, they're given a, a, what do you call, a welcome. Okay, And there's a welcome room where you have refreshments and all of them get a book, a new book. Everybody gives a, gets a book, a new book, a, a book written by David Wilkerson. So I walked into that room. <clears throat> I finished the service, powerful service. Okay, I mean I had the privilege of watching David Wilkerson live. Okay, uh, so glory of the new covenant. Okay, <laughs> so when I went into this hall and uh, uh, they were giving me the, uh, they were giving me a new book. I, I mean, giving me a book all the, for the new people, and I took the book, and it was written, "The Glory of the New Covenant." The glory of the new covenant. Okay, so I said, why? Fantastic. So I was driving back to Montreal and I started reading. You know, the very first thing, you know how the book started, it says, a lot of people have been trying and trying and trying and trying and trying to be right and to do right. You know why? Because you're still in the old covenant. That was the first time I heard about new covenant. I was like, what, 22, 23 years old? Okay, 22, 23. Oh no, 24 years old. 24 years old. First time I read it, my goodness, what is he talking about? Because it was my life. <laughs> sinning, repenting, circle. Sinning, repenting, sinning, repenting, sinning, repenting, nothing is changing. And then he says, lot of people, you know why? Because you're trying and trying and trying, but there's God who says, he's promised you something. He promised you something. What is he going to do? He's going to write his law in your heart and he's going to cause you to walk in his ways so that you will please him. And when I read it for the first time, I said, boy, this is too good to be true. How can God take me, a person who's inclined to sinning, and write his law in my heart and in my mind and cause me to walk in his ways? Okay. That was a question that I had. You want to know the answer? How many of you want to know the answer as to how God is going to write his law? Everybody's sick and tired of repenting and sinning, repenting and sinning, repenting and sinning, and he's not breaking through. Why? Because the old man is so strong. God says, change the covenant. And what is, an, what is a covenant? It is a new covenant. And how does God function in the new covenant? I'll show you. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 6. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant not of the letter but of the spirit for the letter kills but the spirit gives life so what is it first you need somebody over here who do you, who, whom do you need uh, you need a minister okay understand that you need a minister okay you need a minister minister means not uh, chief minister babu with his the uh, but lalbati no that is hardly a minister 
He's actually a person who's anti-minister. He's not a minister. Minister means what? And the one who serves. That guy hardly serves. You serve him. Yesterday, Pastor and I, we were coming from, uh, we were driving to church, uh, church in the morning and we saw all the commotion on, uh, on the road because some minister was coming. You know what Pastor said? Vijay, they're protecting us from them. Literally. We need protection, not them. <laughs> they are not minister. <laughs> they are completely opposite to minister. So what do you need in the new covenant? You need a minister. And what kind of a minister? He should be a minister of the new covenant, not an old covenant minister. That means a minister in the new covenant, first of all, has allowed the spirit of God to work in his life and through his life and his, through his teaching, he's teaching somebody. That is what he's talking about. You got it? Let's move on. So what does he do? The minister of the new covenant. Verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need as some others epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? Look at what he says. Verse 2. You are our epistle. How did you, how are you written? You were written in our hearts known and read by all men. So you are not writing a a letter, you're writing a person. You're changing the person. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered again. Notice this. You, you got that, everybody? This is very important. I, I wish I could circle it. My clicker is not working. Ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh that is on the heart. So, if God has to write the law of God in your heart and cause you to walk in his ways, whom do you, what do you need? Or rather, whom do you need? Whom do you need? A minister of the new covenant. Do you got that, everybody? Okay, let's move on. First, get that. Keep that in, in your mind. Let's move on. But even to this day, he says, when Moses is read, a veil is on their hearts. Nevertheless, when t- one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is a spirit, and with the spirit of the, spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. So what does the minister show you? Uh, what is this? Ah, he shows you the mirror. Okay, what does he show? He shows you the mirror. Now, what is the mirror? What is the mirror? The word of God. So what should the word of God show you? The word of God has has to show you three parts. How much of you is spiritual? How much of you is soulish? And how much of you is of the body? Or, Or worldly? So what does the minister of the word of God show you? He shows you the mirror of the New Testament. The mirror where you see yourself as you really are. So what does the minister of the New Covenant do? He shows you the way you really are. The problem, however, is many of us have no capacity to accept the truth about ourselves. So what do we resist? We resist the... No, no, we don't resist the Holy Spirit. No, 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 we resist the minister. Do you understand? Where is the minister? The problem is, let me tell you, in the new covenant is a very, very important principle in my life. I learned it from my own life. I I experienced it in my own life. What you need is to come under anointed teaching so that the Lord can write his law in your hearts. Okay. Minister. You should be ministered to. 
Okay. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 2. They continued, how? Steadfastly. In the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in fear and in prayers. And what came upon them? Then the fear of the Lord came upon them. So what, what should the fear of the Lord be done? It has to be taught. We remember, remember, there was a teaching I did on the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord has to be taught. And who was to teach you? The minister. And the apostles' doctrine. And what does the apostle doctrine show you? It shows you exactly what you are. And what is the result of the ministry of the new covenant? How do you know that the law of the Lord is being written in your heart? Are you growing in the fear of the Lord? So why? Because if you have to overcome sin, what should you have? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. The problem is many people don't have the fear of the Lord. You know why? Because they are not under a minister who's teaching you the, to, teaching them the word. They are not accountable to somebody. They are not intimately involved with... Let me tell you honestly, pastor knows me very well. A lot of things. My weaknesses, my strengths, everything he knows. Because we have, we have traveled together for 14 years. He knows precisely what my faults are. He knows, I mean, at least to the best of his knowledge, as much as I showed myself to him. But it's very important. Because in the new covenant, it is always, what? Two by two. Because there should be accountability. You see, the problem is, first, repentance from, okay, everybody say that. Uh, then second, second principle, faith towards God. Third, doctrine of baptisms. Fourth, 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 fourth. A laying on of hands. You know what laying on of hands means? It is just not imparting a spiritual gift. What is laying, of, laying on of hands means? Who was the first person upon whom the hands were, hands were laid? Publicly. In the Bible. No. Moses on Joshua. The public laying on of hands happened the very first time. Why did he lay hands on him? Because he was under the authority of Joshua all his life. You know why people in the church are not strong? They're not able to overcome? Because they are not people in the new covenant. They don't have the fear of God. You know why they don't have the fear of God? Because they are not under a minister. They choose. They pick and choose. They pick and choose their ministers. Church for them is only attendance. There's no accountability. And how do you know? How do you know that you're overcoming sin? See if you have the fear of God in your heart. Can you sin with impunity? Or are you scared when you sin? Then you know that you have the fear of God. Then you know that you are being written, that you are a person in the new covenant. You know why? Because the old man cannot have the fear of God. The natural man, it says, the natural man has no fear of God in his eyes. But it's only the new man who goes, grows in the fear of God because he is made in the likeness of Jesus. And how did Jesus, when he was on the, on the earth, pray? With loud cries and tears for, uh, to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard, why? Because of his godly fear, reverent submission. Do you have the fear of God? Are you growing in the fear of God? I'm telling you honestly, I'm looking at a generation who has no fear of God. Young and old alike. Doesn't matter what your age is. Because they don't have the principle of submitting to authority. 
What is doctrine of laying on of hands? I used to always think, what is the fundamental thing in the doctrine of laying on of hands? He is laying on a hand, laying hands on a person. Because that is the reason why God tells Timothy, or rather Paul tells Timothy, don't be quick to lay hands on your on other people and don't be partakers of their sin. Of their sin, don't be. You know that person, see that that fellow is genuine, first of all. Does he have the fear of God? Does he submit to authority? Does he, does he have reverence for authority? Honestly, let me tell you one of the things that I've looked at, you know, even in the old, even in the modern day church, you have to look at certain Pentecostal churches, IPC churches. We are not, we don't agree with everything that they do. But one principle, you should see the way they respect the man of God in their, in their congregation. The way they respect the man of God. That is the reason why they're blessed. You see? Teach your children to respect authority. Don't be familiar. Familiar. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 9. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified. How did they do? And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. That's what happens when you come under the ministry of teaching. What happens? And the new covenant, you grow in the fear of God. Grow in the fear of God. So first, gather. Second, get cleansed. Third, get a new heart. Fourth, change the covenant. Fifth one. Then you shall dwell in the land I give to your fathers. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. You see that? I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon your land. Fifth one, change your commitment. What is that? Change your commitment. Commitment to what? Not to the minister, to the word that he preaches. Understand that? That is the reason why Paul tells Timothy, you followed my doctrine first. What did he follow? My doctrine and my life next. You carefully. Change your commitment. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 6. Favorite. Every time I teach the Bible study, this verse comes all the time. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that whom to whom you present yourself slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. And it says, but God be thanked though you were once slaves of sin. Yet you obeyed. From where? From the heart. You know why? Because God gave you a New heart. And he gave you a new spirit. And what will, what will, what will, he, what will he do now? He will cause you to walk in his ways. So how do you know that you're causing, that he's causing you to walk in your face? You are growing in your obedience. To what? The doctrine to which you are delivered. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. So this is very important. Change your commitment to the teaching of the word of God and obeying the teaching that you receive. I thank some sisters who are writing so, such Beautiful notes. Good, good. I like those attitudes. Okay. Because in the class, I look at students who are serious because they are serious. In the last days, we want people who are serious. Men and women. Because in God's kingdom, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, neither female nor male, but a new creation. Amen. Okay. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. But now having been set free from sin and having been slaves of holiness, you have freed fruit to holiness and the end is everlasting. 
life. So change your commitment. So what is that? Change your commitment. Commitment to what? Commitment to the teaching. Be committed to the teaching. That's the reason why become, become stewards of the mysteries of God. Hold the stewards of the, of the mysteries of God in a, new, in, a, in a good conscience, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Ezekiel chapter 36. Let's move on. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. I will multiply the fruit. How does God multiply? You want to know? Step six. Come under discipline. Nobody will say amen to that. Very difficult to say amen. Look at what is why is this principle? God says I'm going to multiply. I'm going to make you fruitful. I'm going to increase your fruit. How, is, how does it happen? How does God multiply and increase our fruit? Look at what it says in John's Gospel, chapter fifteen. I am the true vine, and my Father is the wine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, I will cut it off. And every branch that bears fruit, what will I do? I will prune. <laughs> what will I do? Prune. Cut. You know what pruning is, right? Take the scissor and cut it. What will happen? Cry. That is what we call as coming under authority. First Peter chapter 5. This is being, being who, who is the, who, who's the person who comes under discipline? The person who comes under discipline is a person who never gets offended. The person who submits to authority. Look at what it says in First Peter chapter 5. Looking at it over and over again. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Why? Because God resists the proud but gives, gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. So, how does God prune? He puts you under the authority. He will, he will correct you. He will take the scissor and he will cut, start cutting you. Cuts, cuts, cuts. What, what will he cut? Those branches which will not bear fruit. In other words, God through the discipline of the Holy Spirit, he will cut off all the relationships in your life which will cause you not to bear fruit. Are you okay with it? All the attachments with the world which will cause you to get estranged from you. Are you okay with it? All the dead things in your life, he will cut it away. Slowly. Slowly. Will you get offended? Or will you get, will you say thank you for correction? Thank you for correction. So first, sixth thing, come under correction, come under authority, come under discipline. You know why? It says in Proverbs, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but a rod of correction, what does it do? Drives it far away. Who's, who's bound up? Folly. His, her name is Folly. Folly is bound up in the heart of the child. And what does Folly say? What does Folly say? Stolen waters are sweet. Bread eaten in secret is very pleasant. That is the reason why yesterday pastor's conference he was saying, we don't like to do anything in secret for God. But we like to sin in secret. We like to sin in secret. I thought that was like, like what one, one hammer on the head. Poof. What a statement that is. We don't like to do anything secret which is good for God. But for sinning, bah. Nobody should watch me. But you know what it's, the Bible says? The eyes of the Lord are to and fro beholding the evil and the good. Yeah, kuncham sepu. Interval, please. No. God loves you so much that he can't take his eyes off you. He can't. Say. 
It's a rod of discipline. Foolishness is bound up. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. That is the reason why when you beat your child, it says, when you beat your child, you will not kill him. With a, with a rod. Okay? With a rod, if you beat your child, you will not kill him. But you will save his soul from where? From hell? From Sheol? See, those days, when we were growing up, one of the disciplines is that this meal you will not eat. That was one of the disciplines. How many of you were disciplined like that at home? No food for you, this, this meal. Thank you, Dr. Richard. That is the reason why you are Dr. Richard. You don't realize that. Others are all actors and you are doctor. Sorry to say, but that is true. You know, this meal, you will not eat. That was one of the disciplines. Why? I didn't die. No? You see me alive, no? In fact, I'm growing nice and round now. Yesterday I looked at, after I went home, I saw myself in the screen. I was looking so huge. I said, boy, how did this fellow put on so much weight? Round incrementally. Every year one cylinder was getting added. Circle, yeah, exactly. So I said, fasting has got so many effects. This fellow should become lean and sharp. See? What will happen? You know what God said? You know, even God did not give food. You know that? It says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says, He suffered them to hunger and then he fed them with manna. That is the reason why when you are fasting, what are you doing? You are afflicting yourself. You are humbling yourself. God's way of discipline is that you will not eat today. I will eat what you, what I want you to eat. This manna before our eyes, that's exactly what you will do. To prove to you that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And a lot of parents, oh, you, you did not give him food today? Oh, you're so cruel. You're a tyrant. Look at Dr. Richard. One of the most disciplined men in our church, if you want to, let me tell you honestly. One of the most disciplined men in our church. His commitment is like a done deal. He's very close to my heart. Okay. I'm not flattering him. I'm telling you the, the fact which what, what I observe. If he says something, he will do it. You see? Well, that is discipline. You will save his soul from hell, it says. And it says wounds and bruises. You know what it says? Wounds and bruises scrub away evil. Huh? What is that? Ah. What, what, what is that? And it says, the blueness of a wound goes into the deepmost parts of the heart. What goes? The blueness. So when you, when you, when somebody hits you, what should, what should come into your skin? Blue. Then you know. You know after one, sh- one, one hit, one sound will come. Ah! That is when you met, you, the, I mean, you hit the bullseye, basically. Otherwise, you're only playing the fool. No, beta, don't do this, okay? It's not going to happen. God will not do that. Because he loves you so much. See, it says, if you are not under discipline, God says you are at the wrong seed. You are at the wrong seed. The blueness of the wound enters into the heart and cleanses the inmost being. Therefore, God will take you through seasons of discipline. But you should be willing for restoration to come. Come under discipline. Step six. Come under discipline. Step seven. Grow in your conviction. What do you need? Grow in your conviction. Let us see. Ezekiel chapter 36. Then you will remember your evil ways. Wow. Okay. 
and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. In other words, you know what you'll do? Lord, I wasted my years, Lord. What was I doing? You know, one of the things that the sign of growth, sign of growth is that you will grow in your conviction that you have wasted a lot of time doing stupid things. Lord, I remember how I wasted that time before the television, before movies with friends. What, am I, what, I want, what I want to do now, I don't want to waste my time anymore. I want to live the rest of my life for the will of God, not for my own, own self anymore. You will grow in that. The rest of my life I want to give to God. That's exactly what Paul says. You know what? All these things, I did it in unbelief and in ignorance. But God had mercy. But the grace of God in me was not in vain. But what did I do? I worked harder than the others. I worked harder than the others. I remember, he never forgot where God picked them from. Amazing. I, you know what, one of the constant reference in his every letter, I persecuted the church. I persecuted the church. I persecuted the church. It is always there. Did God forget? Yes. Did he, was he living under condemnation? No, 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 no. He was not living under condemnation. He was living under conviction. He was looking at the mercy that God poured out in his life. And he said, Lord, thank you, Lord. The rest of my life, I can't live for myself. So what, did he, what does he do? He says, I beat my body to subjection and I make it my slave. First Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh, what did he do? He has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Why? Why should you no, no longer live? What is the conviction? Look at what the, look at what the next word says. Shall, shall, shall we read the first word together? What is that? For. Okay? For. Why? Because we have spent enough time of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties and abominable idolatries. Thank you, Lord. I'm done with it for the rest of rest of my time. I'm not going to waste myself, waste my life on stupid things. I'm going to live for the will of God. I want to grow in my convictions. What is my conviction? I want to serve God for the rest of my life. I wasted enough. I remember that song, God with us, so close to us. One, one song, what is one of the stanzas says? He wept for my wasted years. He wept for my wasted years. But God also says, I'm going to give you back the years the locusts have eaten. If you come back to me, if you grow in your convictions, you will be able to finish all that God planned for you on the side of eternity. Therefore, he says in Ephesians chapter 5, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And how do you understand the will of the Lord? First thing he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice every day. And one of the ways we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice as a church, now what do we do? What do we do? We fast. We fast. Not feast. Okay? Enough Christmases we spend feasting. And eating all rose cookies, rum, not rum, uh, rum cakes and everything else that came along with it. Enough. Enough of my past life, Lord. 
Look at what he says. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. And then don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove that which is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God in your life. I want to live for the will of God and I want to finish the specific, the general and the specific will of God in my life. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Submitting to one another. How? In the fear of the Lord. You see that? So grow in your conviction. Therefore, after that, what will, what will God do? He promised something very powerful. Look at what he says in Ezekiel chapter 36. Thus says the Lord God. On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities. I will also enable you to dwell in the cities and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate, lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So, they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the garden of, oh, like the garden of Eden. Like in other words, where you lost the image of God, you know what God says, I will recreate you back in the image of my son. The very place where you lost fellowship with me. And the wasted, desolate, and the ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it. And I also will. But what, what will you do? If the Lord said, I'm going to do it, you do, this, you do these seven things. What are these seven things? First step, you will gather. What is the second step? You will Get cleansed from all your idols, all the filthiness. Those things which will cause you to estrange. Check those things where you waste your time in a day. Check your browsing time. Check your reading time Reading time of the word of God. Check how much of time you will uh, listen to a message. How much time you work. Psalm 119, 164 if I'm right. 119, 164. You know what Paul, uh, what David says? Seven times in a day I want to worship you. Seven times in a day. How do you get the time? What are you? I'm the king. I have to look at all the administrative affairs of the, of the, of the kingdom. I have to do everything. I'll do everything that is possible. I also will worship you for seven times in a day. No wonder he's called a man after God, God's own heart. Psalm 119, 164. You can write down, write down that verse. Psalm 119, 164. Seven times in a day, I will cry out. I will praise you. I will remember you. So spend how much of those, those things. What are those things in your life which will cause you to get estranged from God? Make a detailed, you know what? You should become intentional people. We are getting into the time where things are not going to be the same. The time will come where people will not be able to endure sound doctrine, it says. People will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure. So what should we do? We should become people who are exactly what opposite to what the people of the world will become. People who will hate pleasure, who will love God. You know why? Because he loved the presence of God. In his presence, what is there? There is joy forevermore and pleasures everlasting. So get cleansed from all the filthiness. Whatever estranges you, whatever causes you to get, get estranged, whatever relationships, wherever you're spending time and wasting time, make a detailed note of that and say, Lord, I'm going to ensure that these things get out of my life. Get cleansed. Third, cry for a new heart. Get a new heart, like David said, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. Okay? Take away the heart of stone. 
give me the heart of flesh. What is the heart of flesh? The, that heart of flesh which will be very sensitive to the stimulations and the convictions of the Holy Spirit. Lord, grant me that heart, Lord. A sensitive heart, Lord. Whatever is causing causing me to get hardened. Check my life, oh Lord. How do I how do I deal with my wife or, or, or my husband, my children, my people in the church, my brothers and sisters in the house in, in the in the in the house of God? How I deal with them? Lord, check my relationships. See if I have a tender and a compassionate heart. See, oh Lord, and Lord, check if I'm getting hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And then you said, Lord, you will write your loss in the deepmost parts of my heart. Fourth, change the covenant. How do you change the covenant? Come under the anointed teaching. Come under the anointed teaching. Come under the ministry of the word of God. Subject yourselves. That is the reason why step number five. Change your commitment. Say this doctrine which you have taught me, I will obey it from my heart. Change your commitment. Say Lord, I will obey even the little things and the big things. Little things and the big things. I want to change my commitment. Change your commitment. Step number six. Come under discipline. Come under discipline. And step number seven. Grow in your convictions. Grow in your convictions. You know what God says? I will restore you. I will restore you. And you will be like what? Eden. And you will be a testimony where you will be blessed and you will be a blessing to others. Let me tell you something. Isaac was the man of promise. Isaac was a man of promise. You know what? His heart became hard towards one of his sons, the son of promise, who was at Jacob. Why? Only because of one thing. You know why? Because of his stomach. Because of his belly. He was willing to bless the flesh instead of the spirit. Why? Because of his belly. The last days, their God will be there belly. They'll be the enemies of the cross. Their mind will be on earthly things and their end is what? Destruction. Their glory is their shame. But God says, if you put this fellow on the altar, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water which will refresh others. You will not only be restored, but you will also become a source of refreshment to others. So this morning, grow in your convictions. I would say just, sorry, this one, change your commitment. This is very important. Become committed. Committed to whatever God has given you. Become committed. Say, do it with all of your heart. Whatever God has given you. Little thing, big thing. Do it with all of your heart. And restoration will come. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, we just want to thank you, Father, for this time that you blessed us with. Father, we are coming to the end of the year. Time like an ever-rolling stream bears all its sons away. They are forgotten as a dream is what the hymn writer says. The world and its lusts and its passions and its fashions are passing away. But he who does the will of God says, abides forever. And this morning, Father, we want to come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord. We want to humble ourselves as your children. And even as we go through this time of fasting, we want to be committed, O Lord. 
We want to do it with faith. We want to be a people who will gather and not scatter. We want to be a people who will be cleansed and not be con- will, and will not continue in our filth. We will, we will be a people who will cry out for a clean heart, a renewed spirit. We'll, be, we'll become people of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. Coming under the lordship of the spirit every day of our lives, more and more in increasing measure. We will change our commitment to the teaching that you have given to us, especially during this time. Lord, we are expecting big things for our lives, but you are asking us to do certain things and we want to do it faithfully. We want to do it by faith. Therefore, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would find in us a change of commitment. And for those people who do not have it, I pray, Lord, all of us, you will give it. You said in your word, if you being evil fathers can give good good gifts to your children, how much more the Father in heaven, who is our eternal Father, will give us eternal things for our eternal good, the Holy Spirit, if only we ask. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will find in us, O Lord, those people who will be committed to you and who will grow in their their convictions, O Lord. They will say, Lord, enough of wasted time. Enough, O Lord, of indulging in the things of the flesh. But these last days of this year, we want to redeem. We want to spend more time in your presence, seeking your face, seeking your will for our lives. As a church, we look, O Lord, Father, for We expect for great things, O Lord Father, in our lives and through our lives, that our lives will impact others as well. And this morning, O Lord, even as we go about this week and we go for different ministry trips, O Lord, in the coming days, I pray, O Lord, your hand will rest upon us, that you would send us by the power of the Holy Spirit, that everything that we do in that ministry trip, O Lord, be it a skit, be it a song, be it a small word, be it whatever it is, O Lord, let your anointing rest, O Lord Jesus, whatever it is, O Lord Father, we pray, Father, that souls will be touched, hearts will be touched, and Lord, there will be a harvest, O Lord Father, of souls into your kingdom in these last days, because you said you will gather, O Lord, in these last days, even as there is going to be a great falling away, there will be an ingathering as well, and I pray, Father, that Lord, that we will be those people, O Lord Jesus, who will gather alongside your children, your servants, all around the world. May you find in at least some of us, that heart and that commitment. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Continue to teach us. Continue to work in our lives. Continue to, Father, even as we go about the season of humbling ourselves. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, Lord, we will allow you to discipline us. That we will be committed to discipline. To the prunings of the Holy Spirit. That we will not get offended. That we will kill offense. So that, Lord, nothing will be a stumbling block for your spirit to flow through us, for your anointing to flow through our lives. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Enable us to redeem the time, knowing that the days are evil. You are able to do it exceedingly, abundantly, even more than we can even ask or even think. That is the God that we serve. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you. We worship you. We give you glory. For in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen. So remember the seven lessons.
gather every day now gather every day and don't scatter your time all right hallelujah